Broadcasting from the Unshackled Studios in Melbourne, this is Will's Front, brought to you by theunshackled.net. Now here's Tim Wills. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Wilmsfront. We've got a featured interview show on the eve of the eve of the federal election on this Thursday, the 19th of May, 2022. We are live tonight on the Unshackled's Facebook page, the Wilmsfront YouTube channel, and a DLive, as well as on the interactive Entropy software where you can ask uh, my guest a question tonight or send through a super chat. It is 8.30 p.m. here in Melbourne, Victoria, where we have in this state uh, 39 House, House of Representatives seats up for election and six Senate seats up for election. Victoria has been viewed at federal elections past as being a Labor stronghold, though Two years under Dan Andrews' lockdowns and mandates, uh, the state could throw up some surprise results on election night. The final Senate spot in Victoria could go to one of the freedom parties as the pain and anger from having our freedom and liberties crushed is still very raw. At the Melbourne Sack Them All rally, uh, all of the Freedom Parties and independent candidates running for the Victorian uh, Senate uh, spoke uh, to make their final pitch uh, for the freedom vote. Uh, we were there on the ground uh, with uh, uh, Facebook Live. And uh, tonight I'm pleased to be joined by one of those uh, Freedom uh, candidates, uh, Warren Pickering, who is the, the lead candidate of Pauline Hanson's uh, One Nation uh, for the uh, Victorian uh, Senate. Uh, so, Warren, welcome to Wilmsfront. Good evening, Tim, and your viewers and listeners. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so it's, well, it's less than 48 hours until the, the, the polls close uh, all around uh, Australia. Uh, how are you feeling at this time? Obviously, you'd be quite physically uh, exhausted. So physically, yeah, it's sort of caught up with me in a way that I didn't really expect that it would. Um, yeah, I guess emotionally and uh, every other way, I feel pretty good about things, to be honest. I think um, we're, we're a good opportunity, so I'm pretty comfortable. And uh, what's the One Nation ground game in Victoria like? Because uh, obviously pre-poll has been going since last uh, Monday. And uh, it's uh, important to have uh, people on the booths handing out uh, what we should call uh, how to vote recommendations uh, to prospective voters because obviously there's been so many polls, but there's still so many undecided. Yeah, there is a lot. I mean, it's estimated it's somewhere between 29 and 38% uh, of voters are potentially either undecided or intending to vote for an independent or minor parties. Our footprint on the ground is probably not as big as some of the others, being that myself and all, well, everybody, One Nation, is is self-funding their own campaign. So having said that, we don't have a lot of uh, money to throw around. Um, everyone's trying to do it on a budget, but we do have a lot of proud, passionate volunteers who are all getting involved. So I'd say it's significantly harder at the moment for the lower house candidates, uh, whereas myself, I can sort of bounce around to to polls where where they have set up a venue uh, and, and and get amongst the the voting public there. Uh, I'm also trying to get out to regional areas where we don't necessarily have a big presence, 
uh, but I know we do have a lot of support with those local communities. So I've just been trying to get out there and, and trying to be seen, showing some support to those communities so that they know that, you know, it, it, they're not going to be left behind. Yeah, obviously in the, the regions where there's a lot more uh, common sense, uh, uh, there's obviously more votes to be uh, won or persuaded that if you want to vote for a, a minor party, uh, vote for One Nation. Uh, that's interesting is- too. Sorry, I was, that's interesting too because I just spent um, Monday, Tuesday at Swan Hill Mildura Way and a lot of those areas are traditionally, you know, Labor Liberal voters. And it was interesting to see the amount of people that have, um, you know, come across. Uh, Victoria, though, has the benefit of being the smallest uh, mainland state. Uh, so you can sort of get to, to most places in about, uh, well, four or five hours max is the uh, the drive. I know that uh, Pauline Hanson up in Queensland is takes the, the, the helicopter to a lot of the, the regional places. Yeah, I, I think that's an option, and it's probably one she should have taken this week, to be honest. She got flooded in on the farm oh, last week, sorry. So, yeah. Oh, well, she's uh, got COVID now, so she won't be able to uh, be on the ground for the final days of the, the campaign. I know she uh, she posted about it on her, her, her social medias, and uh, the graphic is, I will survive to some people's disgust. <laughs> Uh, she's such a great character. It's fantastic. Let's be honest, it's not going to slow her down at all. She may not be able to go public, but uh, the reality is she'll be doing plenty from home anyway, I'd imagine. And uh, she's unvaccinated. And so this is why uh, there there is uh, a lot of people who, well, uh, it's, it's not in their uh, possibility that uh, she will survive. We've had, well, a... Uh, uh, Queensland uh, Senate candidate George Christensen uh, recover from uh, COVID, and well, he's very, very large fellow. Uh, I know that he stocked away some ivermectin. Uh, Malcolm Roberts, he got COVID uh, over the new year, and of course, the uh, probably the, the most uh, memorable recovery is uh, Clive Palmer getting the the US uh, team with uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, a whole cocktail. He's definitely not a healthy-looking man, old Clive, is he? But he survived. He survived. And, well, Pauline's taken some uh, hits over the years. Well, it was earlier this year she was attacked by a nest of wasps. And I think last federal election she got a nasty uh, tick bite as well. So she's... What are you implying uh, here? There's a, a string of bad luck at election times, Tim. Is no, I'm saying saying? that uh, she's she, she's bounced back from uh, various uh, uh, well, say health health scares. I mean that nest of wasps would have really hurt. Well, yeah, I'd be more concerned about the ticks in uh, Canberra than than, than uh, the wasps and the ticks out in the farm. To be honest. <laughs> I also remember she, what is it, found a brown snake in her property as as well. There's lots of creepy crawlies up there in, in Queensland. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I, I was posted to Queensland, North Queensland, my whole army career. Um, and it's, it is that you spend a bit of time in the bush out there and now back home out in the bush in Victoria, you don't have to worry so much, but in the bush up there, there's, there's plenty of creepy crawlies that can probably cause you more harm. Well, it's in Spring Street. That's where the, the, <laughs> the, the harm comes from. Now, uh, as, 
as you mentioned, uh, you uh, posted uh, when you're in the army up in North Queensland. You also did some some coal mining up there, but you're born and raised in Victoria, uh, where you uh, you raised on a uh, on farmland. So you've done a lot of uh, dirty jobs uh, in your in your time. Uh, so you you've well and truly had a experience not like a lot of our politicians in stuffy suits in stuffy offices yeah i'd agree with that sentiment definitely uh i am actually one of those people so i am a country boy i'm born and bred in gippsland region of victoria beautiful part of the world sort of out near sort of kui rap near phillip island sort of way um yeah i spent most of my young years on a potato farm there uh, and also we had a potato farm up on the Murray River near, uh, between Swan Hill and Wajura as well. So I spent a lot of my, my teenage years going up there and working as well, just on school holidays and things like that. Uh, but I am one of these people that actually, I do, I do thoroughly enjoy a bit of hard work, to be honest, and I value experiences over things. So I'm, I'm pretty often try to challenge myself and get out and do different things. And I guess that's sort of what's led to the different things I've done. But I, I did grow up on the farm and then became a bricklayer out of high school, uh, did that for on and off for say 13 years in both high rise in and around Melbourne uh, as a site foreman and leading hand bricklayer and also domestic housing all over Victoria, mainly southeastern suburbs. Uh, I did that until I was 29 and then I joined Army as a combat engineer. It's something I always want to do to provide a service for my company and country and gain that experience. Uh, so I did that on a full-time basis for seven years, posted to Townsville, North Queensland, 3rd Brigade. Um, after the seven years, so I was lucky enough, I had quite a few active deployments, um, yeah, in, in, in different capacities. Uh, then I discharged in 2000 and late 18. Yeah, I think it was late 18, and then got employ gained employment in the central Queensland coal industry, which was just another really interesting experience. Uh, so yeah, a bit of firsthand experience there, but I maintain my role as a combat engineer section commander through the army reserves. Uh, I'm, I still currently hold that role. I'm not currently allowed to parade though, while I'm running for the Senate, um, because you're not allowed to generate an income from the Commonwealth while, while you're running or something similar to that. So we decided it was best if I just didn't turn up for a while and then we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear whether I'm elected or not thereafter. But yeah, I do like to have a go at a few different things and uh, yeah, I don't mind a bit of hard work. I'm back to laying bricks now, to be honest. So yeah. And uh, during the, uh, the, the COVID rolling lockdowns, uh, I should call it, were you still stationed uh, in uh, Queensland? I suffered uh, all throughout the... Uh, uh, through all six of, of Dan Andrews' lockdowns. Uh, I know up there, uh, Palaszczuk, she was the, the border uh, czar. There was very some very cruel and heartless uh, border decisions. So what was your working and family circumstance like during that time? Um, for me, it was heartbreaking in a totally different way. So I had both my parents had serious health issues in the last two years and I was stuck in North Queensland. I was able to get down a couple of times and miss like when lockdowns weren't a problem. I was able to get in and get out so long as I commuted directly from the airport to my parents' property and back to the airport and out again. Um, however, I was I realistically, I was unable to be with them in their time of need. They're both all right now, um, thankfully. 
but it was difficult, but that I wasn't able to get down here and be with my family and friends down here in their times of need. And they weren't able to get up and escape for a while and come and see me either. Uh, I was getting requests through my reserve unit to go and do border work. Uh, it wasn't something that appealed to me. I, I wasn't interested in, in, in uh, engaging in that sort of activity. And I myself am unvaccinated, so it would have been, um, I would have felt a bit hypocritical myself to, to assume that role. Uh, yeah, so it, it was difficult for me in a completely different way. But as soon as I was able to get down, uh, that my, I'm a single parent, by the way. I have an 18-year-old daughter. She wasn't at the time. She was completing year 12. Uh, and once the company I work for decided to mandate the COVID-19 vaccination, um, I vocally and publicly showed my discontent for the erosion of sovereignty for the individual and, um, you know, the, the abuse of, um, yeah, sovereignty in, within the workplace. It's, it's not up to employees to tell us what we can do with our bodies. So I was pretty vocal about that. Um, and as soon as my daughter finished school, we packed up our house and we jumped in the car and we moved back down to sunny Victoria. And what was it like uh, returning? Because uh, after those uh, six lockdowns, certainly the the, the heart of 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 Melbourne uh, was yeah very uh, it was it was very dark. And uh, I'm, it's when did you arrive back back here to to settle back? So I came back in December. So at a time when it, throughout my whole army career, I always tried to get back around Christmas for a family visit uh, and sometimes throughout the year as well. But coming back around that Christmas time, this time around, it was, it was less festive. You know, it was still a festive season. The last lockdown had finished. Uh, everyone was sort of getting excited for that Christmas and holiday period, summer period. However, there was still the looming prospect of, of another lockdown. And I think that, that stress has taken its toll on people. That's what I noticed was different, especially the people that I'm close to. Uh, I came back down and um, there was just a, just a slight air of tension that something's still going to happen. Uh, yeah. And I think that tension is is still there because, uh, yeah, Christmas last year, that's when the, the Omicron variant uh, arrived and, like, the, the, the actual science was in... Uh, very early from South Africa that it was was mild up, but uh, we've seen how uh, science and uh, health advice has been uh, twisted. And what is it? We're entering winter here in uh, Victoria. There's rightly a lot of paranoia about uh, what Dan or uh, Scott or Albo will do uh, after the election, because uh, I'm not sure who's who said it, but the, the politicians are being from the major parties extra nice to us uh, now not mentioning COVID at all uh what um they don't want to remind what they did uh to uh the people the past uh, two years yeah uh, i think that was expected i think a lot of anyone that's capable of critical thought was very much aware that this was going to conveniently go away for a month or two leading up to a federal election and, and potentially again heading into the state elections later this year uh, but on this, the same side of that, all those people that are capable of critical thought are the same ones who heard about the Omicron virus and 
we're wondering where the transparency was. Where's the consistency in this with regard to, you know, it's a new variant. Well, anybody that understands anything about, you know, viruses, whether they be, you know, uh, um, I don't know, uh, from the natural world or not, um, it's in their best interest to get weaker over time. It's not in their best interest to kill their host because then, it, you know, it's a virus and it attaches to its host. If it kills its host, it doesn't get to spread. So uh, traditionally, I would have thought viruses get weaker as they evolve. That's how that works. Um, and we haven't yeah. had like a another variant come by. It's all been, what is it, the ch uh, children of, of Omicron? What is it, BA4 and 5 now? I've, I've often joked that by Christmas this year, we'll probably have, what is it, Omicron BS69 by, by then. Yeah stop it potentially like you say we're heading into those winter months and those are the months where the concerns are raised again uh, apparently uh again we need transparency on the numbers we don't realistically know how many people were directly affected last winter because there's so much fudging of numbers and obviously the the media will want something to talk about after uh, the election i know that every time there's sort of a new outbreak of of something it gets sensationalized in the media so what is it there's this hepatitis in in children and now there's a few monkeypox clusters in europe and 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 north america and it's always the i'm not uh, i'm not sure if you're the same that my reaction is not fear of, well, these are not novel viruses. They've been around for ages, decades, but what will the government response be? Yeah, and I think we've we've seen uh, a very regular response now that is absolutely a knee-jerk reaction. And I don't know if that's orchestrated or not. I don't know if that's a deliberate effort to scare people or because that's the flow-on effect of a knee-jerk reaction. People panic. Uh, you know, is it deliberate? Is it orchestrated? Who, orchestrated? Who really knows? It's, uh, yeah, it's getting very hard not to, I try and believe in the best of people. I have to collectively, I, I believe people are inherently good, but I'm very much aware that there is evil in the world. I've been exposed to this in some of the horrible places I've been. It's hard not to, at this stage, buy into the conspiracies as much as I like to keep myself separate separate from that and, and you know use my critical thought and own analysis to to make informed educated decisions to a large extent it's very hard to deny conspiracies these days uh, what's the the meme now that the time between conspiracy theory and fact is shortening yeah that's a fairly accurate statement really isn't it we had, uh, well, uh, surprisingly, refreshingly this week, uh, our uh, leaders asked about the uh, whether they'd sign up to the World Health Organization's uh, pandemic treaty. The, 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 the in a power grab, the the World Health Organization wants all nations to come together to, to sign this, that we're all going to agree in future uh, pandemics, uh, that uh, we're all going to agree to the, the WHO's uh, directive. And uh, we saw, we've seen how they've behaved uh, throughout the, the, the past two years. And Scott Morrison at first said that he was, well, he was quite receptive, but then he said to Jim Wilson on 2GB the next day that it was rubbish and Albo just gave a waffle answer that uh, 
oh, we believe in multilateral uh, dialogues and cooperation, blah, blah, blah. Absolute, yeah, absolute spin, yeah. Hmm. But uh, Malcolm Roberts, he's uh, promoted uh, One Nation has got a petition against the uh, Pandemic Treaty or, or Pandemic uh, Pact. Uh, which is, yeah, it's getting a lot of signatures. Yep. Oh, I think it's, it's absolutely necessary. The, 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 <laughs> sorry, I should be a bit more clear on what's absolutely necessary. No, look, so we need to stop. We need to risk mitigate against the overreach of all these globalist, globalist governing bodies like the WHO, the UN and, the, you know, WEF. They, um, they just seem intent on influencing all of our social and economic policy, and it's not good enough. Uh, there's no transparency with their real intent. We know that there's an agenda. We just don't know what it is. You know, they, they do things under the pretense of looking after the global community. Well, how come they only target Western nations? How come they're not targeting all the other nations? You know, we're seemingly the very nations that have, have been praised for governing ourselves well throughout this pandemic, as much as we all disagree. That's been... You know, that's what the, the global agreement has been. Um, so why is there a need for this? I sure as hell don't trust them. We didn't elect them to uh, govern on us in any way. And I sure as hell don't trust them. And if even if they were a trustworthy organisation now, you're handing over power to an organisation that is, is prone to new leadership quite regularly. So who knows who's going to be in charge of it two years from now, five years from now? And would it still then be a reputable, trustworthy organisation? I don't think so. I think that's it's just outrageous. Uh, uh, Malcolm Roberts, he's been the, the main party uh, spo uh, spokesman yeah. against uh, uh, globalism, uh, whether it be the the various climate packs or well, the, the World Economic Forum and the, the World Health Organisation. He's uh, in... Uh, Pauline Hansen's One Nation uh, 2.0, as it's referred to, he uh, he's definitely added a a a depth to the the One Nation uh, platform. And obviously, when uh, Pauline Hansen uh, returned to Parliament in in 2016, she'd had several unsuccessful attempts previous elections. There was a lot of people predicting that uh, she'll fall out uh, with her. Uh, 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 party MPs. Obviously, there was a few senators who who, who left, uh, but uh, since uh, the the last election, and of course the the media tried uh, last federal election, the the international media, Al Jazeera, with that uh, uh, stitch up uh, fake uh, uh, gun dealer, uh, they still threw everything at uh, Pauline like they did back in the the nineties. But uh, over the past three years, it's been pretty stable her and malcolm roberts working well in the senate and and mark latham doing uh, excellent work as the uh new south wales uh state leader yeah definitely so i think the media always has its ebb and flows mainstream and, and it has always tried to vilify senator hansen and and to a certain extent um senator roberts as well now primarily because now they are probably arguably the most uh, outspoken senators in the country. Um, yeah, themselves and only a couple more seem to be the only ones that are actually doing their job and look, and remembering that they are there to look after the best interest of the Australian people. Uh, it, it's their job to review and legislate the changes that are, the proposed changes to be made. 
which obviously does paint a certain target on your back to a certain extent if you are outspoken. But I think they've been largely left alone for the last few years because people are realising they're speaking common sense and it's very hard to drag that into disrepute in a public forum. And uh, there's a few more sensible uh, people in the, the LNP uh, now who uh, who are prepared to, well, uh, negotiate and uh, uh, work with One Nation uh, in the Senate. Back in the 90s, it was, well, uh, John Howard, Peter Costello put One Nation last uh, all the time. And uh, you had those five uh, coalition senators at the time uh, cross the floor to support Pauline Hanson and Malcolm Roberts, uh, uh, no more vaccine passports and, and mandates. So uh, that's another thing. She's not uh, uh, alone uh, anymore. Uh, there, there has been, and well, we were talking about before, uh, conspiracy theories uh, pretty much turning out to be fact now. Yeah, it's troubling times when, when you face this reality, but that's the reality we, we do face. And as you say, with the support Senators Hanson and Roberts now see now receive, that is a result of that common sense approach that, uh, well, Senator Hanson has always adopted that approach. I think uh, largely the rest of the political elite is starting to realise that, you know, they're going to have to back themselves up if they want to try and drag her into disrepute. You know, we still face things as candidates, you know, the racism topics and things like that, that were brought up 25 years ago in an effort to drag the party and Pauline into disrepute. They're still problematic now. And the reality is that the, the sentiment behind the statement she was making was to imply that foreign investment was, was, you know, getting a bit out of control. And here we are 25 years later. She was absolutely right. I'm not sure how... I'm not sure so, how. So think, oh, you're right. Go to. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how old you are. Uh, whether you uh, followed Pauline Hanson uh, during the the nineties. Yeah, so I'm 39. I'll be 40 this year. I was born in '82, so I was uh, a very young lad. But I do. I remember her from the very start. Yes. And what was your uh, view at the time? I don't really know, I suppose. I guess I had a bit of admiration, a bit of respect because uh, my mum and dad broke up when I was young. I was lucky that I had supportive parents on both sides and they were amicable in their breakup in looking after us kids. I was the youngest of five kids. Um, however, my mum was a working woman. She, she bought her own farm and started harvesting potatoes after her and my father broke up. So I already had a, a, a very strong influence female influence in my life for for from a powerful woman so i guess even as a young fella i just had a bit of adoration and respect for senator oh, for pauline hansen back then yeah and obviously what has helped uh pauline hansen uh in well to the the party 2.0 is the, the best way to to phrase it is uh social media as well it's not just back in the 90s it was just uh print uh radio and and television i mean the well, the internet had just launched it was dial up hardly anyone uh, it was a privilege at that time uh, but it's and uh pauline hansen has been able to use it magnificent magnificently sorry i got tongue-tied there and obviously the centerpiece has been those uh 
very informative and hilarious cartoons. They are absolutely outstanding, aren't they? Yeah, I think... So it's done two things, obviously, social media. It's it's given us all a platform that we can utilise to, um, you know, spread your message further. But it is ever-evolving and changing, I think, like the mainstream media. Could you imagine, you know, if this day and age was like it was back then with, say, the mainstream media propaganda machine being in the back pockets of the majors and giving them and them only the platform that they need to get their message out there, how hard would it be for us to be heard? In this day and age, it'd be damn near impossible. Well, we still have the the legacy media, as they're also uh, referred to. They, uh, they, they there was the the three leaders uh, debate. Well, they're, with only they're very impartial, aren't they, Tim? I'm sure you're yes. very aware of how impartial the Scott legacy Morrison media. and Anthony Albanese. Just uh, so there was one on obviously seven, nine, and and Sky News, and they have these bring in these undecided voters and the. Uh, the way that it's set up is that to, to these undecided voters, you've only like these are the main two options that uh, you've got, and like there's never any discussion about like overseas, like for example in France and 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 Germany, those European countries, they include all the major the well major candidates and minor party candidates. Yeah, and look, that's a sensible approach. I mean. Nobody really wants to watch the two two main candidates from the you know the government and the coalition go head to head like a bunch a couple of children. It's so just childish and uh, I don't, it's just slanderous towards each other. There was no real discussion about policy or I don't know. I, I only caught a couple of minutes of each. I generally don't buy into mainstream media, so I don't watch it. Um, I've had this discussion with a few of the platforms, such as yourself, and mentioned, and also uh, I did a debate well it was more of a, an opportunity for a platform i don't know if you saw that one with myself and all the other freedom party representative senate candidates for victoria and we all discussed the the, news one? yeah that's correct yeah with avi and uh rukshan and we discussed it amongst ourselves and sort of said well whoever of us gets in if any of us get in hopefully uh, a couple of us can get in and tip the balance of power but the reality is i think we need to make impartial media the only media and the only way we can realistically do that is to have our media releases come through platforms like your one or like um you know rebel or whatnot uh and and leave the mainstream media the crumbs they can pick up crumbs for a while and we'll see how they like it and i think that way we'll be able to disseminate our message and make uh, impartial media the only media now, it's obviously you had the uh, that uh, Rebel News debate, and obviously uh, most of you were were at the the Sack Them All uh, rally, uh, where I heard uh, uh, your speech and uh, uh, also uh, your your candidate uh, for Melbourne uh, as well. Who um, that was that was quite a, quite a quite interesting. I know Walter's a very passionate man. He's got a very difficult job on his hands with that seat. Um, he does his best. I'm, I'm sure it's got to be stressful on him, but he's he's very passionate and passionate about his area. You know, Melbourne's his hometown. Well, you're running in all the the seats in uh, Victoria, if I'm uh, correct. So obviously, Melbourne is what is it the what is it the biggest watermelon seat? There's also what is it Cooper uh, up in what is it Northcote? Uh, so uh, <laughs> you've got to be pretty. Uh, 
pretty tough and determined uh, to to stand 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 in that in in those territories. Yeah, you absolutely do. That's that's right. And we've had people put their hand up, fund their own campaign, knowing that there is there is not a great deal of chance for them. You know, because a lot of them did their homework and looked back and and realised that they didn't fare too well. We haven't fared too well in those areas traditionally on the AUC website. But they still wanted the opportunity to put their name up and represent their community, and uh, hopefully try and um, yeah tip the balance and have a go. And obviously, in every uh, seat in Victoria, people vote uh, for the the Senate uh, as well, the big long uh, white paper. And uh, so, the uh, uh, the theory is that if you've got someone in the 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 reps and has got the area covered, then you're more likely to pick up votes in both the the House and the Senate. Yeah, that's correct. So the, the more lower house representatives you can support, uh, the more likely you are to pick up Senate votes. Uh, we understand this. However, as I said, because everybody's funding their own campaign, we had a, quite a few um, electorates where for one reason or another, nobody either stepped forward or the person that stepped forward decided it was probably not worth, you know, them taking the time off work and coughing up the money to, to potentially not get those funds back, which is understandable. It is a yeah, big that's ask. That's what the media has called the ghost. That's, this is what I'm alluding to, yeah. And and the reality is we've still wanted to give everyone Australia-wide the opportunity to vote for One Nation. They deserve that opportunity. Mm. So in these places where we have elected out of, out of electorate living candidates, they're all real people. You needn't concern yourselves. They are real people. And should they win, they may not have the, the local subject matter expertise for those communities, but they do intend to represent those communities with all the vigour and passion expected of a One Nation representative. So they still, we still have an option. Everybody gets to vote for One Nation. And I know that all the, the freedom parties, and uh, it's also been featured in uh, the uh, Please Explain uh, cartoons, uh, that uh, not just uh, how the voting system works, but how uh, you decide uh, your preferences. Because it's despite, at, like, a lot of us are political nerds, so we know how 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 to vote and how the the voting system works. But other people, they they only come in uh, every every three years for a federal one, uh, so it's especially important to make sure that they cast a valid vote and that they they preference in a way that well is. It, it, that they know where it's it's going rather than just grabbing a, a how to vote card and just going through it like the major parties do. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of been blown out of proportion to a large extent because I've had a lot of people and from older generations as well come and ask me, I want to know what your preferences are. You're not going to get my vote until I know your preferences. And I, I kind of said, well, all right, well, here's my preferences. I'm, I'm advocating for freedom parties first. Uh, but... The reality is they're suggestions. They are just suggestions. It is your preferences that you put down that are, are going to affect change or not within this country. It doesn't matter what I say. And I think largely in the past, people did just take it upon themselves to avoid a fine by ticking one, two, three, four, five. Or so, you know, that wherever you drew on the ballot could have been beneficial or not. But I think now 
I've seen evidence to suggest doing doing my tours all around this great state of ours that this time around people have taken taken a a proactive interest in the governance of our country and they actually want to learn how to properly exercise their democratic right to affect change more so than any time in recent history and it's a great thing it, it's really good to see um yeah especially from the younger generation but also people from my generation i've had people that are you know 40 to 45 years old that have sort of said well i never really registered to vote i seem to get away with it but uh, i think i will what do i do i've got no idea can can i vote for you are you my electorate mate i mean everybody's electorate what's the senate how does that work so it's um it's been a learning curve for me well i knew a lot of people didn't take an active interest in politics but wow yeah um i think we need to bring it back into our education system not necessarily political science but you know one semester in year 10 my own daughter turned 18 finished year 12 last year she said to me i don't even know what the senate is dad you'll have to break this down for me and uh you know, literally a flow chart and a five minute explanation is enough. You know, if we, we put it two weeks into your first semester in year 10 and then you do a, a quick assessment on it, I'm sure you'll you'll have a base level of information that will probably last the rest of your life. Now, with the, the Senate in Victoria, and this is the same with all the other uh, states, uh, is six senators. So a quota is you divide it by seven, 14 point uh three three uh percent uh so normally how how it uh the the best way that a minor party can get the the final final they can get the final spot it normally goes like they five to the majors it can be split two to two to two to three to what is it the coalition or or labor Greens. so uh certainly if if the, the people who vote for the, the the freedom parties do preference the other freedom parties and there is a sizable freedom vote uh, if as long as the preferences aren't unexhausted it is uh, possible because even the mainstream media has been forced to concede especially in the outer melbourne area there's still a lot of uh, anger a lot of uh, hurt devastation from the the, the lockdowns yeah, well, as much as we alluded to earlier that, you know, all our current representation are pretty happy and been really nice to the general public because they want us to forget, this has left a scar on us. This has left a scar on everyone and people aren't going to forget that easily because the war won't be pulled over our eyes because we can see the changes that have that are coming. And if we allow this overreach to continue, uh, we know we, we're on the precipice of social and economic collapse right now, and, and these people have got us there. We can't let them maintain control and continue to erode our freedoms and sovereignty. It's, um, it's madness to think that they can and, and we'll just allow it to happen. People are going to vote with their feet, and I think with regard to freedom parties, I think we can secure more than one seat. I think maybe two or even three of us from that panel on rebel news the other night can secure a seat and i think that we can really affect positive change for our communities victoria wide if we can do that i mean one of us can can affect change but two or three of us oh imagine what we can do i mean i i you saw my speech and i'm not sure if i think i brought it up then um I've been getting around this state and asking people who's their Senate representation, those that do understand how the Senate works. Not many people can name more than one or two. You know, we have 12 senators representing this state. 
Who are they? If, you, if nobody can name more than one or two, and generally for bad reasons, not for good reasons, uh, they're clearly not engaging with their communities. And if you're not engaging with your community, how can you honestly say that you are acting as the voice of that, eyes, ears and voice of that community in the Senate? You're not. You can't be. So I think with regard to the majors being fearful of us securing seats, because let's make no mistake, this is the election for the Senate. Uh, yeah, of course, we can go for a hung parliament in the lower house, and that'd be fantastic to make them you know, share that balance of power uh, to form government. But if we can get Senate representation from the freedom parties, um, that's what this election is realistically about. And and they are scared because they've put a, I've seen a meme today. There's a billboard up um, that Labor seems to have put up somewhere in suburban Melbourne um, that stay, it, it's basically just targeting freedom parties and says, don't vote freedom parties, you know, that they're unorganised. Um, you know, you'll end up with a hunt parliament. It's trying to force a negative spin on something that we're aiming for as a positive because we know it means they've got to share that balance of power that they've hung on to so tightly for so long. People might not realise that the New South Wales Parliament is a, a hung parliament in, uh, in in the in the lower house uh, and... Well, uh, obviously that didn't stop uh, the Berejiklian lockdowns, though the Perite has been a, a bit better, but he's still a, uh, a globalist. I mean, uh, he wants to reopen the uh, immigration uh, floodgates uh, as soon as he, he can. Was it his dad's on the, the World Bank? Um, One Nation has a, a, a interesting titled immigration policy, uh, net zero uh, immigration, uh, because, well, with the, obviously it's great that uh, the, the international borders are, are open, but uh, the, the big business and, uh, well, uh, governments as well, they want that, uh, they, they, they want that uh, rush of international labour and uh, to, to resume the, the Ponzi uh, scheme of population growth. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and the reality is we are facing very difficult economic times right now. And the best thing we can do is get our feet back under ourselves and recover our economy. You know, we've got a critical housing shortage for a start where our health system was at capacity prior to COVID and now it's even worse. You know, why would you want to add more fuel to an already burning fire? It, it's, it, it's madness to think that this is their solution to anything. Uh, what the Morrison government, what do you say, an extra 260,000 per year for the next three years? Well, where are we going to house these people in another 600,000 people over the next three years when we've already got a critical housing shortage? You know, it, it's just crazy. And uh, uh, obviously a skilled worker shortage as well. We don't just need to bring people here that are, you know, need to learn the language and things like that first because they would obviously contribute where they can. But I think realistically, like most Western countries do, or most countries in the world, you know, there's no reason we can't focus on um, people that are highly skilled and from culturally cohesive backgrounds that can add to our uh, economy straight away. We have a skilled worker shortage. So, you know, why aren't we focusing on these people? 
Uh, I know that uh, yeah, Morrison and Frydenberg, they were bragging about the the 3.9% unemployment rate. Of course, that only counts the people looking for work because there's a, a sizable minority of the population who are still banned from working. And uh, if you want to stop uh, skill shortages or uh, staff shortages, given that, uh, well, um, people still have to, to isolate with COVID and then imagine our shocks that uh, uh, with uh, people's immune system uh, lower because of two years of not being exposed, uh, influenza is People are unhealthy, yeah. people are unfit, and people haven't been in the sunshine. They're unhealthy. Yeah. So there's untapped labour here already. Look, yeah, exactly. So I actually, I've got a couple of points here. So it is easy traditionally to say, oh, unemployment's low. We all know that that's not an accurate representation of our current employment situation. It's, it's really not. Like prior to COVID, we were facing a recession and the building industry was in a slump. So the last two years is not an accurate representation of where our economy sits. And I've just got a couple of figures here. So uh, the median price of a two bedroom house in Melbourne has dropped 10.5% in the last quarter. That's significant. That's about 80 odd thousand dollars. Yeah, granted, it's a two-bedroom. So, and so Sydney, it's five percent on a three and four-bedroom home. It's four point five percent and five point seven percent, respectively. Now, for people that have bought peak top of the market through fear of missing out or whatnot in the last couple of years, that probably encapsulates their entire deposit that they may have spent years saving. That's almost all of their equity gone in the space of a quarter, potentially. Uh, you know, we face dangerous times if this continues and it's likely to continue to a certain extent. So uh, what else we got? So ASX down 2% last night. It's back up to 1.6, which means it shed as much as $45 billion overnight. You know, we've got um, Bunnings, owner West Farmers, fell 6.9%. Woolies down 6.5% today. Uh, JB Hi-Fi and Rebel Sport down 6.2%. These are enormous numbers. And when you consider the rising inflation to go with it all and, you know, explosion in fuel prices, and there's another one that it's, you know, it took Senator Hansen to to mention the 50% fuel excise cut before the government took ownership and decided to run with that one. When realistically, anyone capable of critical thought knew that that was the short-term solution. Why did they not come up with it themselves? Why did it take a suggestion from Senator Hansen before they implemented that strategy? But these are all better indicators at what the economy is actually doing. You know, you can you can spout about unemployment all you want, but we know it's not an accurate representation of where our current economy is. So they're only not even giving you half of the picture there. And uh, we have uh, in uh, Victoria, uh, the, well, it's, well, it's, there's a lot of work in Victoria, the largest uh, home builder, Metricon, that it could be on the verge yeah. of uh, liquidation and we had what is it the the massive uh, plunge in the the global uh, markets due to inflation uh, fears and uh, th it, there was I think it was probably one of um, Pauline Hansen's best uh, cartoons uh, Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese with the money printer because you want to know why prices are, are going up it's not because of the war in Ukraine or all these other things it's because the reserve bank over the past two years has pumped all this money into the economy yeah and, and people keep saying 
understandably, they go, oh, it's a COVID tax. There's a COVID tax on cars. There's a COVID tax on houses. Yeah, I, I know it's convenient to call it that, but the reality is they've devalued our dollar. Inflation's going through the roof and our dollar's worth nothing and our wages haven't increased. No, it was that wages growth 2.4% uh, up against an inflation rate of, of 5.1%. Uh, and uh, another... Uh, well, We're also likely to see consecutive interest rate rises for the next couple of quarters. Which is, it's unavoidable. Unavo- uh, it is, it is. At least they took the large step with the last one instead of trying to move up a very small percentage at a time. They realised, um, like Japan, they had to take a big big step. However, uh, why are they now being responsible? They could have been responsible with this, uh, with our interest rate 12 months ago. There, there was no need to um, wait until now. Um, yeah, now you've essentially gotten a whole lot of people into a worse situation financially. I know people that live in regional Victoria that I've met that have, have borrowed a million dollars to live in a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house in regional Victoria. And another uh, centrepiece of, of One Nation policy is uh, uh, energy and and agriculture. And well, you uh, you have firsthand experience in well, digging up the the raw uh, material. And uh, with the uh, well, the, the bad net zero policy, not the not your net zero immigration, but the net zero by twenty fifty blah 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 policy, as even Greta called it um we like we are seeing the in the uk the uh, the cost of uh, green energy sky high energy bills their their food banks uh are having more and more people uh, come in and you have the what is it the food and fuel shortage in sri lanka which is just devastating and scary yeah it's actually terrifying uh to think that we could face the similar circumstances in the modern era uh, in a country like Australia, that should not be possible. We are very much capable of being self-sufficient in this country. Were it not for the Lima Agreement, we, we still would be like we were in the 80s. Um, well, that's a whole other topic. However, with regard to power, we do have an opportunity for cheap, affordable baseload power here. Yeah, it, we're trying like madness to, to try and um, get on to net zero by 2050. But the reality is that's going to come at significant burden and cost to uh, households and small businesses. Um, We need affordable power in this country and we've got an opportunity to have it. You know, with our current coal-fired power stations, if we switch them to high efficiency, low emissions power stations alone, they're 30% more efficient. So instantly your bill will come down 30% and produce 30% less emissions. That's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, you know, alternatively, if if these companies decide uh, have to close down or forced to close, they've never made any promises to not dig up the coal. So the coal, it, it's a finite resource. It's still going to get dug up and sold overseas and added to the atmosphere in another country. So someone will still be getting cheap coal-fired power. It just won't be us, the Australian citizen. You know, we need to have these discussions. You know, why can't we have the nuclear discussion? Let's yeah, at least exactly. have that discussion. Why is it closed? We know it's, well. it's one of the greenest energy sources known to man. Um, I get that it was made into a dirty word years ago. Um, but we in Australia, we, we, we sell the uranium to foreign countries anyway. We have the most abundant resource of uranium in Olympic Dam in um, 
South Australia on the planet. Uh, so, you know, we're still digging it out the ground and selling it, whether we're using it or not. Uh, and we happen to have some of the most stable geology on the planet to support it also. So it's a discussion we need to be able to have. And we're not against uh, green energy. Don't, people misinterpret that and they like to say, because you're against green energy. Well, we're not. The reality is it needs to be a viable alternative. If, if private enterprise can't use uh, green energy to be a, to a profitable endeavour without government subsidy, then it's not yet a viable alternative. It's that simple. And in the past, we've actually sold uh, uranium to China, which <laughs> well, it wasn't a good idea uh, at the time. And well, that's uh, the the well the the change of the the People's Republic of China. Well, it's basically uh, it's been back to the future now under uh, Xi Jinping. I he's he's put the the bamboo curtain uh, back up. And uh, it's it's in has made all sorts of uh, threats and uh, demands demands of us uh, throughout the the past uh, two years. And well, you were in the 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 uh, the army, and now in the well, and then the the army reserves. Uh, you would would know if like obviously you need to prepare for the worst in uh, in the the ADF. Yeah, you definitely do. Uh, I think we all know we have a rather a dangerous situation with regard to China because they are trying to overreach. They are trying to capitalise and gain strategic assets and strategic value all over the planet. And economically, they don't play by the same rules as the rest of the world. You know, they've got this, they're obviously CCP, they're communists, but they've got this um, hybrid capitalist system going where you know they have starbucks and they have all these things but when someone says oh a chinese company owns that that is the ccp that's the chinese government nobody's there's no such thing as a private company uh that's the chinese government and that's a part of their overreach uh i think we need to be very careful and tread very lightly strategically because we know about their belt and road project we know they are securing vital assets right around the planet and you know with the solomon islands recently that has the potential to cut us off from our allies in the north um which ties into more policy why don't we still have our 90 days strategic fuel supply for domestic supply at least uh, we need to be able to defend ourselves in an emergency or in the current fuel situation um yeah it's very concerning that situation with China. But as I said, they don't play by the same rules as the rest of us. And they're, they're making all these demands and requests that you referred to. We need to stop thinking we're going to offend someone by defending ourselves. You know, we mm. need, as a country, our politicians need to stop pussyfooting around the truth and walking on eggshells in an effort to be subservient to people or to not hurt people's feelings. Bugger them. <laughs> Just tell them how. Yeah, the, uh, the the CCP they they know they they know how to play the identity politics uh, card in the the West. I mean, we yeah. saw that uh, that that uh, Chinese uh, foreign ministry spokesman that disgraceful uh, Photoshop image of um, an ADF uh, soldier uh, beheading an 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 Afghan. That's this. 
they they know to play into sort of the self hate of the the West, the cultural relativism. Oh, you know, who are you, who are you to to judge? You have a racist uh, history, and and uh, there's plenty of uh, uh, people in the soil, media soil, and, soil media. and propaganda, and and the general public have probably haven't been exposed to it as much as some of those of us that have been trained to uh, to understand what's really going on. And uh, it does. It it only needs to cause and affect uh, the general public. Um, what's the term? So it's nothing creates human interest like uh, human tragedy. And to do things like that, it generates all the interest that they want. So if you just uh, ignore uh, China, they just have a have a tantrum. What was that? We, we boycotted the, well, there was the diplomatic boycott of the, uh, the Beijing uh, Oli- uh, Beijing Winter Olympics, and they basically said, oh, you'll pay. That was basically the response. If you just basically call their bluff, I mean, the, the government didn't, uh, didn't cave in to any of their, their 14 uh, uh, demands. I mean, there's, there's a way in this PSYOP to just basically, well, there is call numerous, their bluff. So there is numerous ways, and I'm not exactly um, all over the figures, but I was exposed to a document a few years ago that implied that China itself uh, by, I think it's by 2050, is facing their demographic, an age demographic of something, like I said, not spot on the figures, but something like 40% of their population is expected to be over 55 years old or 60 years old by 2050. So they're not going to have a strong middle class or a strong, you know, younger generation of working force they're going to have to support an older generation. And I think that was what led to the let up of the single child policy. So, all right, we better, you know, we, we've got this half bastardized version of a capitalist system, which requires growth. We all know capitalism has doubled every 50 years um, for the last 200 years. And that's what it's, what's been required for it to continue um, to, to grow the way it's grown. And now China's realizing this, they've allowed a two child policy Nobody's taking up the two-child policy because everybody wants what they had and they grew up as a single child. And now people are sort of saying, well, why would I have two children when I can tip all of my resources into one child and give them the best possible opportunities to succeed in life and then support me in retirement? So, you know, why don't we why don't we play on these things? You know, they, they use their, their might and their muscle. Why don't we use our wit and say, all right, well, I don't believe... China is going to be the manufacturing hub of the world in 20 years. You know, India is poised and ready to take that mantle right now. So, you know, if they try and implement anything to cause our economy detriment, why don't we just turn to India? Oh, definitely. I mean, we should uh, be having, uh, well, I I would say closer uh, relations with India. India, who is a what is that a well a, a Commonwealth uh, a brother? I mean, obviously, both countries share a love of of cricket, and uh, this there's obviously what is it uh, the the quad? Uh, what is it or the the no no China's uh, club? Uh, so Australia has plenty of of friends uh, in the the Asia Pacific uh, region who it can it can turn to. Yeah, absolutely, we do. Yep. I think, and, but outside of that too, you look at what are we getting from China, you know, with things like our free trade agreements. And this is what One Nation has brought up as things that we do need to, we need a defining 
term on what actually um, constitutes national interest. And if we go over our free trade agreements that have been made over the last 20 years and they don't fit within the parameters of what we deem to be the natural national interest of Australia, let's scrap them, throw them out. I mean, realistically, what are we getting from China? We sell them raw materials at, at bargain basement costs, which we could be getting more for, and they sell us back substandard products that then flood our market shelves um, and and put our own manufacturing out of the, those said markets. It's, it's madness. Well, not much is coming out of China uh, at the moment uh, because uh, uh, Xi Jinping is uh, still uh, pursuing the well, always was a mad dream of of COVID zero. So, what is it? Shanghai has been in a what is it? Short, sharp lockdown level five for I think a couple of couple of months uh, now. So, oh, there, uh, like we uh, just like da- or should I say, Dan uh, just brought that up. His yeah. lockdowns. Uh, Xi is uh, uh, destroying well uh, Shanghai at the moment through through his uh, lockdown. So interesting, you just brought that up because I watched a a, a um uh, do you know Neil Oliver the the he's from the UK. He's a scientist. I don't even know. R- rings a bell that name. Yeah, he's got long hair. He's a fantastic documentarian. Anyway, uh, so I watched something he did just just before I spoke to you and. Apparently, the UN, uh, they rate China on their management of the COVID situation. So, you know, when you talk about the WHO Treaty, are you bloody kidding? Mm. You know, there's members on that board that are praising China for their actions with regard to lockdowns. Um, it, it's crazy. Bill Gates himself is obviously on that panel. He's not a doctor. He's just a bloody wealthy philanthropist. And he was praising Daniel Andrews on this documentary, praising Daniel Andrews for his actions with regard to COVID response in Victoria. Are you bloody kidding me? And we want well, to give all... ultimate power over our society. Well, they've all got COVID in the end. What is it? Dan Andrews got COVID <laughs> earlier this year and Bill Gates uh, recently did, uh, did as well. Yeah. Now, after the, the federal election, um, I've, I'm not sure if I should ask you for a a prediction in terms of uh, like who which major party is going to end up with the 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 most seats. Obviously, the the, the slogan of the Freedom Parties is put the the majors last. Uh, but uh, there's also what is that? You've got to put one of the the devils before the other devil. Yeah, yeah. So ah. Uh... It's too tough to call this year. It's, it's such a rebel election. People are really ready to make change and, 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 yeah, do something that we've maybe never seen before. I think this is the most important election of probably the last 100 years. Uh, however, I think and hope uh, hung parliament and I think maybe Labor, which I, I, I'd prefer Liberal, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean Scott Morrison, like he is a, a liar and a, a bully. Uh, Pauline Hanson called him a, a bully, but there's no way you'd trust uh, Albo on well, uh, on co- well uh, on COVID policy or uh, safeguarding any freedoms. And if you aren't successful uh, on Saturday, will you run at the at the state election? Because One Nation was registered in 2018 in Victoria, but 
didn't run. You're definitely running, like the party's definitely running this this November in Victoria. So we we do have a lot of commitment from all of our regional candidates and all our candidates running for the lower house now that have said, you know, if they are unsuccessful, they are just going to use this as traction to then roll over and start campaigning for state. Yeah, um, we do have provision there to potentially start up. Um, we need to elect a new president and a um, new executor, but um, that's that's something that we can discuss within the party. There has been talks about that, but we'll we'll just have to see what eventuates after this election. Though so I'm an optimist, optimist, I, I really am, and I think we have a great opportunity here. We can secure anywhere between. I'm very confident with two or three of our lower house seats, and I think we can secure up to six or maybe even seven lower house seats and a Senate seat. Uh, and if that's the case and we've got that representation in um, in both houses and we, we roll into state, um, I think we'll be, we'll be looking good and we'll have plenty of volunteers that will happily throw their hand up and, uh, yeah, try and run for state under the One Nation banner. You're a dream, uh, Dara. Obviously, uh, with the, the federal election uh, result even better than uh, well, a couple of uh, freedom uh, candidates being elected as Victorian uh, senators is uh, Lydia Thorpe to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't, I don't know that she's been such a high performer for her community. Um, yeah. When, as I said, when I've asked people who their Senate representation is, um, a few people maybe mentioned Lydia's name, but only because she's green and uh, replaced Dean Natalia, and not because she's done anything particularly special. Uh, just when you think there can't be a worse uh, green senator, another one arrives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's convenient, isn't it? Oh, it's been great to chat with you tonight, uh, Warren. Uh, all the best yeah, uh, the, the, the campaign. And uh, here on Wilmstrand and the Unshackled, we'll be conducting our own election night live stream, 6 p.m. Melbourne time when the, the polls close and we'll be watching both the, the House uh, and the and the Senate. Fantastic. Well, let's uh, go back and make impartial media the only only media. If we finally get through the Senate ballot count and I'm to release a press statement, it'll be through one of your platforms. But remember to your viewers, uh, One Nation Party, we don't have Clive Palmer's money. We don't have the propaganda machine of the mainstream media like the majors do. But what we do have is Pauline Hanson and her party and, and the sheer passion that it represents. The way your voices behind every swing I throw in Canberra. Let's do it. Take care. Thanks, mate. See ya. And that's the show uh, for tonight. Uh, so as I, I previously said that uh, Wilms Front uh, was on an indefinite uh, hiatus, uh, but uh, Warren uh, was eager to, to come on the, the show. Richard Borsoncroft uh, helped uh, connect us, uh, which I'm very thankful for. He also connected uh, Damien Richards and my last guest on, on Wilms Front. Uh, but uh, certainly after the election, I'm keen to, to have uh, more Wilms Front uh, episodes. And uh, now tomorrow night will be Trad Tasman Talk 6pm Melbourne time on the Unshackled uh, YouTube channel. Uh, so Dewey DeBoer will be my co-host. We'll see if uh, Jacinta Ardern's uh, recovered uh, from uh, COVID. It's been budget week in uh, New Zealand. 
And uh, so we've got uh, later on the Friday night, uh, the final news poll to, to come out. Uh, Ipsos uh, was released tonight, 47.53, two-party preferred uh, to Labor. It has tightened a bit. Uh, One Nation is on 5% and UAP on 3%. Uh, so the polls are definitely tightening and they can be wrong because there's still so many undecided so i'll see you tomorrow night and i'll see you the night after saturday night also 6 p.m going to be simulcasting to uh the unshackled youtube channel the unshackled uh, facebook page and the wilmsfront uh, youtube uh, channel so take care uh, stay safe and and stay sane uh make sure that you vote uh, because you'll get a fine if you you don't uh, uh vote uh, one of those, one of the the many fines uh, uh, that uh, uh, people ha- people can cop. Uh, well, there's been a lot of, of fines issued for the past two years, uh, as we know. But uh, uh, make sure you don't get a, an, an, a, 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 a another fine that uh, you don't need. Make sure you you vote and uh, make sure you cast a valid valid vote uh, as well and an informed vote uh, uh, as well. All right, take care, every take care, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow night on Election Eve. Thanks for tuning in to Wilmsfront. Visit timwilms.com or Rational Rise TV to view the archive of episodes. And keep visiting theunshackled.net to view all our shows. And to keep up with the latest real news and analysis.